Well, we're in Psalm 112 this morning. 112. What a blessing. The church, the family of God, seeing people use their gifts and their talents. And every single Christian has a gift, a spiritual gift. Because a lot of times when we think of gifts, we think of people that sing or play an instrument. And that's that's one aspect of a, of a talent that God's given to everyone. Maybe not everyone has a talent of some sort, but... Um, this is a spiritual gift, compassion, mercy. Uh, there's so many gifts, and we encourage you to study those. We actually have a gift inventory in our lobby, East Lobby, again. Uh, maybe you came from a background where you, where you were taught the gifts died with the apostles. That's not scriptural. You won't find that in the scriptures. So go do a gift inventory, find out what your gift is, and then ask the Holy Spirit, how can I use my gift here? How can I use it throughout the week? And don't be afraid to use it. God wants to use your gifts because it's his gift for you to use. So don't hoard it. Don't hide it. Father, we thank you for this morning. And we're just going to continue in our worship of you with your word. As we open your word, I ask for the gift of teaching. And Father, you will just calm our hearts wherever we're at in our walk. You know. You're building a testimony. And so even this morning, Father, we pray that you would use your word to build our testimony for your glory. Give me the gift of teaching in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. And we covered this last week, so you can get the CD from that. We were going to do 111 and 112 together. It didn't happen, so we're going now into 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. And again, the word blessed, we've covered this many times in the Psalms, but it means how happy, how happy. Who delights, the word delights there. Listen to this, it means to incline to, to take pleasure in. Notice it says who delights greatly in his commandments. Um, I know when I was being raised, I believed that, that God was the cosmic killjoy and that church was just a bunch of do's and don'ts and there could, there was just no fun in God's church and in God's word. We couldn't have a good time. There was no such thing as a, a party. Of course, the party I was partying was not proper and not biblical, but you know, Christians just can't have any fun. That's absolutely not true. But notice what takes place here, who delights greatly in his commandments, or what we could say, in the word of God. You take pleasure in the word of God. And there's nothing wrong with having pleasures in other things. We all like to do things, a hobby or a sport or knitting, whatever it might be, writing. There's nothing wrong with that. But do you also, do I, do we delight in the word of God? Or is it just something we put on our Christian list and, okay, I went to Sunday service, check that off. Okay, wait till next Sunday. Is coming to church kind of a drag instead of a delight? Ah, we got to go to church because the kids need to hear about God. Yeah, you're just doing it for the kids. I'm glad that you're doing it for the kids. But wake up. You need to be doing it for you. And not just coming out of here out of dad or duty, but because you delight to be here. And and what I get out of this verse is the more time that I spend in the word, the happier I will be. 
You see, not happy in the sense of worldly things. And unfortunately, we're living in a really good time right now as, as far as monetary. I mean, there are a lot of people making a lot of money. But you know what I've heard over this past month from different families? Is even though they're making six figures, and this is crazy, I'm not making close to six figures, just so you know. Making six figures, they're still living paycheck to paycheck. And I just can't understand that because I've never been close to six figures and we've always had just a one salary income. My wife has been a stay-at-home mom and she's worked way harder than I ever have, raising four kids and homeschooling and everything else that she's done. And we've never been close to six figures ever. And we're fine. I just don't get it. But you see, we get focused on the pleasures of this world. And we try to think that these pleasures will give me pleasure. But at the end of the day, they don't. They just give you heartache and heartburn. Because Pastor Chuck had a saying, one of his Chuckisms: Strive to gain, strive to maintain. Whatever that might be, whether it's the ministry, if you're striving to be a pastor, because he would say it to us pastors, then you're going to have to strive to maintain it. If God's called you to do it, then God's called you. You won't strive. And it's the same thing for all of us. You know, if we strive for that house or that car or that career, that hobby, that 401k, whatever it is, that's where the mind's going to be. And then we have to strive to maintain that. And when it goes south a little bit, it's like, oh, I start losing sleep over it. Knowing that God is watching over you and guiding your steps, even during the hard times. And Claudia and I have been through some hard times. I don't want to make it sound disastrous because we're very, very blessed. But we've been through a few hard times. Those really difficult times. And you will have difficult... 50 years. Have you guys ever had difficult times in 50 years? Just been cruising for the last 50 years, haven't you? You will have difficult times. But when you delight in the Word of God, you know God's with you. Because his word says so. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. Although there might be a feeling and emotion there. But that's not what it's based on. It's based on the facts of God's word. God says he's going to be there. He is there. So I'm going to delight myself in the word of God. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. You see, spending time with the Lord will bless the next generation. And I really want to encourage us with this. Because you guys, are you guys seeing what's happening in our culture? This past week, I guess there were some Republicans that attacked, verbally attacked a Democratic senator. Because over the last few months, Democrats have been attacking Republican senators. So let's get even. Let's do the right thing and start attacking each other. That's really bright, isn't it? Is it stopping? Is it going down? Or is it getting worse? You see, for us guys, as believers, we cannot buy into that at all for one second. We have to acknowledge, hey, it's not about Democrat Republicans. It's about Jesus. And where are we going when we're all, when we all die? God's not going to ask you when you get to heaven. Can I see your card? Were you a Republican or a Democrat? Oh, sorry. You were close. You were really close. You voted for who? No, 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 no. We can't have you up here. He's not going to ask any of that. 
He's just going to ask, what would you do with Jesus? What would you do with my son? And for you and I as believers, the younger ones need to see us. Because one day, get this, one day, guys, and this is where we're seeing the church. If you're not reading or doing a little bit of studying, I encourage you to do so. One day, the next generation will be overseeing the church. And one day, you really want to think about this. One day, that next generation will be overseeing you. And are you worthy of life? Are you worthy of assisted living? This is reality, guys. And just wake up. This is reality in the world. Are you worthy to keep alive? Or are you a drain on our society? How can you benefit us as an 80-year-old? You're useless. That is happening in our world, guys. And so don't think it won't happen. We have to invest in the next generation. The upright means straight, pleasing, fitting, proper. Notice that in verse 2. The generation of the upright will be blessed. few questions here. Do others see those attributes in our lives? And again, I'm going to read them. Upright in Hebrew means straight, pleasing, fitting, proper. So the question, do others see those attributes in our lives, whether it's coworkers or neighbors or family members, especially our children, grandchildren? Do they see these attributes in our lives? Have they noticed a change in your temperament? And we can all act a certain way on Sunday morning. And it might come out a little bit in the parking lot. But when you get home, how does it play out? Because your kids know. And your kids might realize, now I can't say anything. I can't say anything. I can't. It'll be really bad if I say anything. Have they noticed a change in your disposition? How about this? Have they noticed a change in your character? Have others noticed a change? Because as believers, we're all sinners saved by grace. And yes, you may have been a really bad heathen. But when you got saved, you had the, the Holy Spirit came within you. And you shouldn't be that really bad heathen anymore. You should be more like Jesus. You see, has the Holy Spirit done such a work in your life that you're able to say that you're upright? And again, the definition of that, straight, pleasing, fitting, proper. Not that you're perfect, because nobody's ever going to be perfect. Christians are not perfect. We know that. But you're definitely becoming more like Jesus. In verse 3, wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Now, this is very important. We're going to start getting into some touchy points here. Wealth and riches were a cultural sign of God's blessing. And that's why Job was thought to have been in sin, because Job lost everything. Old Testament book looks just like Job, but it's pronounced Job. In his, in his circumstance. Unfortunately, even though the word is inspired, and it is inspired, you have to take into account that real people were writing it. You see, they had personalities. They had certain beliefs. 
certain way of looking at God's ways. And at the end of the day, though, we come to realize that God's ways are not our ways, nor are his thoughts our thoughts. Again, some of the thoughts that Job expressed are a great example of poor personal theology. Please hear that. Some of the things that that Job expressed are a great example of poor personal theology. But the Holy Spirit still inspired Job to write it. It shows us the realness of the scriptures. And so I have a question. Because we just don't want to pick on Job. How many, how many of us have had poor personal theology? I'll let you think about that for a few seconds. How many of us have had poor personal theology? Anybody want to raise their hand on that? It's just reality. Well, how do we get over that? As we continue to read through the Word of God, from Genesis to Revelation, that poor personal theology that we have at times, and everyone has it, whether you raise your hand or not, you have it, you're just not mature enough to realize it. Everyone has it. It gets worked out. It gets corrected. You see, as we continue to honestly read and study all of God's word, and this is really important, allowing God's word to change our theology. I know when people come and visit, when they're church shopping, and there's nothing wrong with that. But be in prayer. If you're here today and you're church shopping, glad you're here. But be in prayer about where God has called you, not what makes you the church that makes you feel comfortable. This is not to be a comfortable situation. We should be uncomfortable in the presence of a holy God. And as we're going through the word of God, sometimes it should make us uncomfortable because we're in sin. And we need a rebuke, myself included. We need to be disciplined. We need correction. And that's a good thing. Praise God. But oftentimes we come to a church and we evaluate the church on my theology. Like what I said earlier. Again, there may be someone here, because I hear this every now and then when people come up and ask me or talk to me. Well, the gifts died with the apostles. That's your theology. But is that the Bible? Can you show me that in the Bible? Show me some verses. You're not going to be able to show me any verses. But I will be able to show you many verses where that's the exact opposite, but that's your theology. Are you going to correct your theology? No, we're going to go find another church that believes what we believe. Great. God bless you. Have a good time. Not saying you're bad. Not saying any any of that nonsense, but do you want the whole counsel of God or do you just want to live out your theology? You see, guys, we got to change. We got to do what? Not making God's word fit our theology. It's not about God's word fitting my theology. It's about my theology getting transformed into the image of God, into the image of Jesus, being correct. Not self-righteous. Not so correct that I won't fellowship with another believer of another denomination. None of that nonsense. 
but correct where I'm not saying, well, I believe this because that's the way I was raised and that's the way it is and I can't back it up at all, but that's just my theology. Uh, that's poor, really poor theology. You see, as we continue to honestly read and study all of God's word, our poor theology gets worked out. And we should praise God for that. I can testify this personally. I used to think some things, and I've said some things over the years about theology, about the Word of God, and I was wrong. I was dead wrong. And as I continue to read and continue to read and study and read and study and ask the Holy Spirit to change my heart, I'm like, oops, I shouldn't have said that. That's why we don't put all our tapes out on the the Internet. <laughs> yeah. Nah, there's enough people out there. Let them take the hit. <laughs> I'm just going to try my best to divide God's word. Guys, do study. Every single day, read and study. Verses 4 and 5. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. Notice that again, that word upright. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. You see, when the Lord blesses, notice this person in this psalm here gives it away. He doesn't hoard it, for he is not afraid of the Lord not providing. That is so key for us. Notice it's that he's not flippant with his money. But he's diligent as he handles his affairs with discretion. And the word discretion there is judgment. Judgment. So you should be wise on who you give to, where your funds go, how you're spending your money, what you're spending your money on. You should use judgment. You should use wisdom. Again, I just don't get it when people are struggling and then you hear how much they're making. It's like, are you using any judgment at all? I already know the answer, but I want to help them to realize you got to step it up a little bit here. You got to start using a little more wisdom, a little more judgment. Start, you know, bring it in, cut up the credit cards, do whatever it takes. Because you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. How much are you giving to the Lord, by the way? Oh, I, you don't want me to talk about that? Okay, let's talk about something else then. Where's all your money going to? Guys, these are questions we have to ask ourselves because we want to store up treasure in heaven. Surely, verses 6 and 7, he will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. And I actually have this verse highlighted in my Bible. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Trusting in the Lord. Not if, but when the hard times come. The person who is focused upon the Lord, not if, because they will come. Not if, but when the hard times come, the person who is focused upon the Lord does not panic, but trust in God's care. And that's where you and I should be even to this day. Shaken. The word shaken there. It means to slip, shake, or fall. And the thing that personally helps me the most is remembering that I am just visiting this planet. Our ultimate home is in heaven where we will remember everything that the Lord has done in us 
and through us. I have a verse here for you that I often read to people when I go visit in hospitals. Out of the NLT, Isaiah 26.3. You will keep in perfect peace. And have you been in the hospital? And they can't maybe figure it out for, for a season? And what are you looking for? Peace, peace, peace. Give them wisdom. Give them just, I don't know what's going on. Help them figure it out. God, do something. Heal me. All you who trust, all who trust in you, trusting in God, all whose thoughts are fixed. Notice that. Notice that. Fixed. Not just Sunday morning, not just calling 911 the Bible when I'm in an emergency, but being in the Word of God on a regular basis. God is my dad, he's my father, he's my God. I reverence him, I honor him, I respect him. I can trust in you and my heart is steadfast. It is steadfast because you have a plan and a purpose. His heart is established. Again, notice the words here and remember this is written most likely when they were returning to Jerusalem. So they've been in Babylon at least 70 years, if not more. We don't know exactly when it was written, so I'm not gonna, I wouldn't argue with anyone, but it, it appears that it was written after those, those exile years. They're going back to Israel, they're going back to Jerusalem. And notice he says his heart is established. He will not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. You see, the servant of the Lord is not afraid of the enemy because his heart is established. The word established, it means to lean upon, to take hold of. You see, he trusts in the Lord to deliver him through the enemy's tactics. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6 to make this very personal, relevant. Again, for the next generation, you younger people, and you might be a new believer and you're in your 40s. So that would be for you a younger saint. Ephesians 6, the spiritual warfare. Finally, my brethren, be strong in Jim and in the power of Claudia's might. Man, that's my favorite verse. Ay, ay, ay. So that's why our first two years of marriage were a disaster. No wonder. What does it say? Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on, and the word put on here is like like putting on a jacket. Get clothed. Take possession of it. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the tactics of the devil, the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Really? What are these midterms all about? No, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And what does the enemy want to do with America? Who supports missionaries, who prints Bibles. We do a lot of other horrendous things, by the way, but I'm saying we still do a lot of good, solid, biblical things. What does the enemy want to do? Destroy the church. Destroy the church. Destroy marriage, to get the Bible out of school, get prayer out of school, 62, 63. And here we are, what, 50 years later? What are we reaping? What are we reaping? Good, solid kids that respect their elders? Hello? What are we reaping? 
And what are these adults, 50, 60, 70-year-old adults that are supposedly our elected officials, but they're willing to verbally kill each other? What are we showing 20 and 30-year-olds and teenagers? Don't respect each other. Say what you want. Say what you feel. Dumb. Really dumb. Don't do that. And don't put it on Facebook. Don't put it in print anywhere. Because the Bible says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.5 Don't open your brain and let everybody know how foolish you are. Keep your brain closed and take it to the throne of God. Take it to the throne of God. Because it will come back to bite you. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, speaking to every Bible-believing Christian, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. For you and me, guys, to stand, to stand, to stand. So as we look back in the psalm and we wrap up Psalm 112, verses 9 and 10, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever, his horn, his strength will be exalted with honor. The wicked shall see it and be grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. So the righteous, now with contrast, the wicked, the righteous in verse 9, the wicked in verse 10. The wicked will see it and be grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. Praise God for that. You see, those who come against the righteous will be greatly disappointed. Ultimately, they will see the righteous delivered. Ultimately, and enjoying the fruits of eternal life with the Father. Remember what I mentioned earlier? I'm only visiting this planet. You are as well. You are as well. Have a light touch on it. You see, God's strength will be on display for all of eternity through us. You know, we may even get to heaven and look at somebody and say, Wow, you made it? You're here? And they might look right back at you. And you are too. That's that's amazing. Talk about God's grace. That's just amazing. (laughs) You see, the wicked will see God's righteousness or rightness. And he will grind his teeth in anger because he didn't get his way. God's ways. If you're here this morning, you do not have Jesus as your Savior. You are the wicked. Read your Bible. The Bible says there's no one good, no, not one. You might think you're a good person. You're not. You're a wicked person. That's what the Bible says. So if you want to get right with God, then receive Jesus as your Savior, and you will become a saint instantly. Instantly. Does that mean your wicked ways will fall away instantly? Eh, Maybe not. Maybe. There's some testimonies in here that person received Jesus. They never had a drink ever again. They stopped smoking. They did this. They did that. Some things do go away instantly. A majority of it, it's a season. It takes time. It's a sanctification process. It's becoming more like Jesus by praying, by being in the word, by submitting and allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work. Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. What we're going to enter into is the Hillel Psalms. Psalm 113 through 118. They are the Psalms of praise. And they were sung at various major feasts, including the Passover feast. Traditionally, the participants would sing Psalm 113 and 114 at the beginning of the Passover. And then they would sing Psalm 115 to 118 at the close of the meal. So as we read these next six Psalms, we can know for certain 
that Jesus was well aware of them and had sung them personally many times. They also had special significance as he celebrated his final earthly Passover with his disciples. As Luke twenty two fifteen tells us, Then Jesus said to his disciples with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. With fervent desire, this final meal. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun till its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. Notice that the psalmist emphasizes the word praise as well as name in these verses. He expresses a desire for those who serve the Lord, which should be every believer in this room, to give God the praise he is so deserving of. From the rising of the sun till the setting. Oh, does that mean I don't have to praise him during the night? No, basically we're sleeping. And again, as you read your whole Bible, you'll know, no, that's not what's being emphasized or being insinuated. But when our minds are being alert and we're awake, then we should be alert and awake about the things of God 24-7. Again, as long as the mind is awake and alert, I should be giving God the praise for his ability to have all things under control. You'll see what I'm getting at here as we read the verses. I don't have to worry who's in power over our land, but rather... Pray for them, as the scriptures tell me to do. You see, because God has a plan. I don't have to get consumed with the latest turmoil or conspiracy. Because according to God's word, God has a plan. And as you read God's word, it's totally laid out for us. There is going to be a one world government. There is going to be a one world monetary system. There is going to be a one world religion. It's not a conspiracy. It's in the Bible, and it is going to happen. There is going to be a great tribulation. And the birth pains, possibly that we're seeing even right now, the birth pains, the natural disasters are going to intensify and intensify. It's going to become as it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Lot, right before the Lord's return. All these signs... They're culminating. Israel is a nation. Jerusalem is a part of Israel. The birth pains, guys, they're getting really close together. And for you women that have had babies, you know what happens. There ain't getting out. There's no getting out of this now. (laughs) This baby's coming. (laughs) Last nine months have been fun, but oh boy, this hurts. Don't worry, it's going to get worse. You see, the enemy would like me to focus on a name, a position, spiritual enemy, a title of someone in power or a potential coming turmoil or theory that could devastate my life. But it's in the name of the Lord that I need to trust in and that I need to praise. Even though things may appear out of control, as the disciples would soon sense after the arrest of Jesus, God had a plan. And Jesus even told them about that plan. And everything was under his control. How can we know that for sure? Well, the next verses tell us, verses 4 through 6. The Lord is high above all nations. Does that mean America? That can't mean America. Uh, Yeah, that means America. His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who dwells on high, who humbles himself, notice there, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and 
in the earth. Notice that. You see, the Father sent His Son, His one and only Son, who came in humility to take upon Himself frail human flesh to show us how much He loves us. You know, we were talking about this at a, at a discipleship meeting as, we were, as I, was, I mentored some guys, and, and we had this little discussion. It's just amazing. I mean, think about it. Jesus did not come out of the womb speaking Hebrew. He spoke everything into being. But God laid aside momentarily, laid aside his glory. And he had to learn Hebrew. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn the word of God. <laughs> the word of God? What do you, he had to learn the word of God. He inspired the word of God from Genesis to Malachi by this time. Learn the word of God? And you'll remember when he was 12 years old, he was in the temple. He was asking questions, but he was also answering questions. Read your Bible. Jesus had to learn. He was tempted just like you and me. God laid aside his divinity. Could he have snapped his fingers and been done with it all? Absolutely. At any time. But he chose not to. To take on frail human flesh, you and me, so that he might, we might be able to identify with him. You see, the king of kings came to this earth so that we might approach his throne anytime. And I do this every week with the children. I have the privilege of every Tuesday morning going over into the preschool and I get to do a 20 minute. We sing songs and then we open the Bible and I ask them this every week just to help them understand. When can you pray to God? Jesus. Yeah, we know Jesus is God. When can you pray to God? They give you the craziest answers. So you got to help them. Any time. That's it. Any time. And where can you pray to God? In the bedroom. Yeah, okay, yeah. Think big. It was any, 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 anywhere. Anywhere. What can you pray to God about? Jesus. Yeah, that's right. You got it right again. But what can you pray about? Anything, anytime, anywhere. Guys, that's who we belong to. That's who we belong to, guys. I know it's oversimplistic, but do we forget that? Every day we forget it. And we, and we carry it ourselves. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. I'm just going to read it, write it down. We're getting behind time. I don't want to torture the teachers. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Please write these verses down. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Muhammad, Joseph Smith, throw a name out there. It's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Psalm 113, 7 through 9, as we get ready to wrap it up. He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap. 
that he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. Look at the grace of God in these verses. You see, God is not just concerned with those who have much, as earthly kings do. But he is concerned over those who have little to nothing. He takes the time to raise them up and place them with the one who is over all. The psalmist uses the imagery of a barren woman, which in that culture was one of the worst things that could happen to a woman, to express how much God loves his creation. He just doesn't command someone to help us, again, like an earthly king would do. But he sent his one and only son in person to come and help the poorest of the poor. The ash heap here was a gathering place for the poorest or the outcast of the city. It was where they burned the garbage. It was also a place where the poorest of the dead would sometimes end up. They couldn't afford to even be buried. And their bodies would be burned. The average person would avoid this place at all cost. It wasn't a place where someone would say when they had nothing better to do, hey, I got a great idea. Let's go hang out at the ash heap. We're going to have some fun tonight. Nobody thought of that. Yet, because of his magnificent help, the poorest of the poor will sit as his, at his eternal banqueting table. You see, we were all born into an ash heap, a dump of sorts, standing in line waiting to die. Everybody has an appointment. But God poured forth his grace. In Romans 5, 8 we read, But God demonstrated his love, own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's you and me. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior... He loves you. God loves you. God desires a relationship with you this morning. Accept his son this morning. And as we think about the Jews in the psalm, if this was written prior to them going back or during them returning to Jerusalem, we can better understand their comfort in order to rebuild what had been destroyed by the enemies of God. They were leaving the ash heap of Babylon, or what I'd like to refer to as the world. I'm just passing through through this ash heap, guys. To go to the eternal city of God, Jerusalem. And where are you and I heading to? We're heading to the new Jerusalem. Heaven itself. Be careful how much you cling to this ash heap. Because the Bible clearly says in Peter, it's all going to burn. Everything is all going to burn. It's all going to become ashes. But rather, just remain focused. We're just passing through. What can I do for you today, God? How can I serve you today? How can I use my gift for you, God? In my neighborhood, at my workplace, in my family. God, how can I use you? How can I be used of you this week? Father, we thank you and praise you that we even have the opportunity to serve you. And that's amazing in and of itself. That you would take, I think of you and myself, Just a week. Not the brightest bulb on the porch guy. And you would allow me to be used of you. It's just astounding. But that's who you are. You take the weak things of this world to confound the wise, the strong. Because you are God. And what does the strongest, the richest person have on you anyways? Nothing. You spoke it all into being. So, Father, we thank you for this week, and we thank you for allowing us to be used. And, Lord, use us this week. 
Whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, whether, whether we just feel so desperate like we're at the end of our rope, we know you can still use us. Help us to turn to you, even right now, even at this very second. And if we need to do this 10 times today, 20 times today, 30 times today, Father, just help us to turn to you, turn to you, turn to you. For you are our answer. You are our hope. And you will bring us home. You know, as the saints are praying, maybe you're here today and you don't have Jesus as your Savior. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior, there's people around you that love you and they are praying for your soul right now because there's a spiritual battle going on for maybe one soul in this room right now. And maybe you're here this morning and, and you know Jesus as your Savior, but you know you need to repent. You've been away. Whatever the case may be, there's people around praying for you as well. God loves you. Just repent and come back. For that individual that would like to receive Jesus, just pray this prayer. God, I need peace. I can't get no satisfaction. I need forgiveness. I acknowledge I am a sinner. And so God, I repent. I turn to you right now. And I ask your son, Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, to come into my heart right now, to come into my life, God, I invite your Holy Spirit to come into my life right now. I really don't understand, but I'm going to pray this prayer. And I trust you'll teach me. Just like these other saints have been taught, you will teach me. So I accept your Holy Spirit right now. I say thank you. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for granting me salvation. Thank you that I can now call you my father. My father. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for this morning. Again, use us this week as we go out into our mission field. Use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand, guys? Have a blessed day. If you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. We would love to pray for you. If you ask Jesus to be your Savior, please come up. We would love to congratulate you. God bless you guys. Have a great week. You know this song, Same Power That Rose Jesus From The Grave lives in us sometimes I think we know God's word we hear something like that and we know it but we don't believe it sometimes and when you sing this out today you might have marital issues you may have issues in some form of sin that's causing you to stray You may be struggling with your children or whatever it is. 
the same power that rose Jesus from the dead that lives in us you can trust that God is going to take care of it I was cracking up when Jim was saying the kids things about Jesus because it's all about Jesus and even as young kids they understand it's like a pastor joked around saying asking kids what has fur and barks and a kid raised his hand and he said I know the answer is Jesus but it sounds like a dog but we know that Jesus it's ingrained in us as we read his word that he is the way he's the truth and the life it's all about him and that same power lives in us so I want to encourage you to allow God to work in your life greater is he greater is he that is living in me he's conquered our enemy no power of darkness no weapon prevails we stand here in victory greater is he Yeah. 